experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. Here in America, we don't tolerate that kind of crap, sir. The Michael Groff Show. Now the only thing anybody's going to remember me for after I die is being that blind guy. Zip code famous Michael Groff Show. You couldn't open a French whore's legs with a wheel of cheese. So if you're confused about what I'm saying, listen very carefully. I quit this bitch. Michael Graff. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? Because you know I've updated it to include all white guys who add Izzle to anything. Screw charity, man. And you know, I pledged $50 to stop diabetes, and then I found out that there's still diabetes. And I'm, I'm like, what? Man, talk about a ripoff. Zip code famous, Michael Graff show. There's an old saying in Tennessee that says, fool me once, shame on Shame on you. It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. A theologist might refer to him as a practical joke from God. A sociologist may refer to him as the voice of reason in a cesspool of humanity. While a philosopher may find him to be the ill-advised punchline to the universe. Or maybe that's a punching bag. Whatever. But of course, you know him as the host of the Zip Code Famous... Michael Groff Show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go again. Another excursion into broadcast excellence, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just trying out my audition for when I fill in for Rush Limbaugh because the call's coming any day, as you know. I don't know, if they can put Roger Hedgecock on there. It's the Roger, it's Roger Hedgecock. Um, I just I want to talk about what I, I... I've been here in San Diego, and I want to tell you about uh, all the... Being a conservative here in California, it's very, very exciting. If they can put that guy on, I've got a future. Anyway, it is, uh, yes, the one and only Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show for Wednesday... October 24th, 2012. And uh, thank you so much for checking us out and tuning in. Sure to appreciate it. Uh, contact information for the program but as we get rolling here. Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Groff Show. You can find us, Michael Groff, on Twitter. Groff Show on Google Talk and of course MichaelGroff.com for anything else that could possibly be Michael Groff related. Always encourage you to go there because at MichaelGroff.com not only can you listen to this and other podcasts but you can comment on this show. You can leave all of your reaction. You can check out the Twitter feed that's up there. You don't even have to go to Twitter. My uh, The latest Twitter message, my latest tweets, man they're up there um on michaelgroff.com. People say, Mike, you really need to tweet more often. You really need to get more into that. And I say, yeah, I probably do. And then I don't ever do it. So I'm one of those people. People say, you really should do X, Mike. And then I say, you know what? I'm going to do that. And then I do it eventually. It's one of those things that, you know, it just takes me a long time. I'll get a wild hair up my ass and I'll finally do it. Like, um, Last couple of days, I've been sitting here. I've been going through some of my old cassettes. I have probably 
I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of cassettes from over all the years, from when I was a kid, from when I was like five years old all the way up till 20-something. And I have a whole bunch of them stored in the attic. I have some of them in a closet. And so the other day, I didn't go up into the attic because I just didn't feel like getting the ladder. I wasn't that motivated, but I did go through a few boxes in a closet and I found some old tapes. And uh, maybe I'll even share some of those old tape archives with you. I even have uh, the, the uh, I, I have a nine-year-old Michael Graff doing this very show. And I believe, I believe a nine-year-old version of me is talking about lesbians. So, <laughs> I was uh, quite a savvy host back then. What can I tell you? I knew what drew in the ratings. Lesbians equals ratings. All right. Well, uh, maybe we'll get you that later on. I don't know. There's so much going on in the news and so many things I wanted to get into. First of all, uh, folks, as you know, the big debate. Well, there were two debates. The one I cared about was last night, and that's the third party debate. And I will talk about that momentarily. Uh, but the debate that 59.2 million Americans cared about, I guess, is the debate that was on Monday night. And that, of course, featured President Barack Obama and Governor Mitt Romney going at it once again. And we were treated to just yet another round of talking points and blah, blah, blah from both of those guys. Actually, of the three debates, Monday's was the least interesting, the least entertaining, and the most irritating of the three presidential debates. No question about it. I want to make sure I get that out there right off the bat. And I'm going to talk about it and get into it just a little bit. But I, I've got to tell you, I've mapped out the show. I do not plan to talk for 40 minutes, at least not about the presidential debate. And the reason is because there's not a lot to talk about. It was a debate moderated by Bob Schieffer. And I'll just say this right off the top before we go anywhere else. Bob Schieffer, who is admittedly uh, a pretty big liberal, Bob Schieffer did a great job moderating Monday night's debates. And I was always a critic of Bob Schieffer. And I thought that he did a good job back in 2008. Uh, and I thought he did a good job on Monday night. And I just want to make sure that we get that out there. He didn't interject himself into the debate. Are you listening, Candy Crowley? He didn't interject himself into, into the debate. And he didn't just sit there like a pathetic wuss and get walked all over. I hope you're listening to that, Jim Lara. He was uh, in control. He asked questions, follow-ups. He allowed the candidates to talk, but he didn't allow the candidates to take complete control of the debate. He gave them room, but he didn't completely just uh, stand there like, uh, well, he wasn't like a door, like just swinging in the breeze and just allowing the candidates to walk and talk all over each other. And he didn't sit there and act as a fact checker either. He was a moderator and good for him. Uh, that's, that's nice. I'm, I was glad to see that. All right, that out of the way. The debate was supposed to be about foreign policy issues. And I say supposed to be because, of course, if you watched it, you know, for maybe 10, 20 minutes, they talked foreign policy. And then before very long, it drifted back into domestic issues. Much as Bob Schieffer tried to push that envelope, push him right back into, into foreign policy affairs, it just kept circling back to domestic issues because this they knew it was the last debate. They knew it was their opportunity to get their talking points out there. They've probably both seen the polls. And we do have the latest polling data out today. Rasmussen has Mitt Romney up 51 to 46 percent. 
whereas uh, Gallup uh, still shows about 50 to 46 in favor of Mitt Romney. I've got another poll here um, that shows, uh, where did I, I wrote it down in my notes because I, I caught it this morning. Uh, another poll here shows uh, 49 to 47 in favor of Romney. So Romney has now taken the lead, although in many of these polls, he's still within the margin of error or right at the outside of the margin of error. So, you know, it's still anybody's race, of course, and their polls don't take a lot of credit into it. The only poll that matters is the one that happens on November 6th. That being said, they knew that they were close in the polls. They knew that this is their last opportunity to really push ahead. So they uh, they just had to make sure all of their talking points were out on the table. The reason I don't think they spend a lot of time talking about foreign policy is because, quite frankly, I don't think either candidate differs very much on their foreign policy. Much as they may disagree semantically, much as they may think that their parties are different when it comes to foreign affairs, they're really not. We interfere in the affairs of countries all the time. Uh, Republicans and Democrats have slightly different ways of going about it, but we do it constantly. Barack Obama is just as much a warmonger as George W. Bush. He sent more troops to Afghanistan. He continued the war in Iraq. We got involved in Libya. So obviously we are still a warring country. We are still a country that's very much vested in the Middle East, across portions of North Africa, wherever there is natural resources, wherever there is, uh, wherever there is Islamic terrorism, even allegedly or otherwise, Wherever that exists, we will be there. We're in Afghanistan. We're in Pakistan. We're in Iraq. We're looking at Iran. We're looking at Syria. And that's really what was brought up again on Monday night. They were talking about Benghazi. And this was Mitt Romney's big opportunity to really press the president on what happened in Benghazi. This was his opportunity to really take the president to task on really what happened uh, how it is that there was such an intelligence breakdown, why our Libyan embassy was attacked, uh, why it is that it took the president two weeks to acknowledge that it was indeed a terrorist attack, why it was that um, they tried to blame that ridiculous YouTube video for the, uh, for the supposed uh, uh, attack instead. You know, I don't understand why uh, Mitt Romney was so soft on that. He, he mentioned it. He said that the president had a failed foreign policy and that was about the end of it. And then the president retorted and that was really all you heard about it. Then we talked in general terms about terrorism across the Mideast. And I got to tell you something. I really started to zone out. I thought I had been paying so much attention. I was, um, I thought I was very diligent in my notes and my paying attention the first two presidential debates and even the vice presidential debate, but this one, I had a hard time staying focused. And me, who does this and pays attention for the express purpose of doing this show and just to have something to talk about, you'd think that I would have paid very close attention, but when they just kept going on with their talking points about, well, we can't have a nuclear Iran and Iran, Iran, Iran. And that's really, I just, I started to zone out and then I started to get pissed off because I know that whoever becomes president next, whether it's Mitt Romney, whether it's Barack Obama, I, I foresee military action coming down the road uh, with regard to Iran or perhaps even Syria. And as well, we're taking a wait and see attitude on Syria. We just have to see what, what happens, who gets control, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm sorry, but I'm just, I'm so tired 
of hearing the same party line from both parties about these kinds of issues. The candidate that would have won it for me, at least in the presidential debate, at least between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, the candidate that stood up and said, you know what? I am taking our military. I am withdrawing it from from Iraq, from Afghanistan. I am uh, recalling all of our troops in in all these bases uh, across the world, the 170 countries that we have bases. I'm bringing them home. The, the president that says that, I think, becomes a hero to the American people. Yeah, aside from the... These a few people, the 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 people that are out there going, well, well, we got to have a big old military because you never know, we could get invaded anytime from them damn uh, from from Mexico or Guadalajara or or uh, Indochina or one of them places. They gonna come up here and they got they gonna do it. And if you don't watch that Mongolia and Irkutsk. I mean, they, it's like uh, the Northwest Territories is gonna invade eventually. That's the problem is we have to, this is the kind of mentality is, is there are some people that still believe that we should have our hands everywhere. Well, we got to be in Germany because you never know when the Adolf Hitler part T is going to come about. Hey, hey, we got to be over there in, in Japan because them Japs, them Japs could bomb Pearl Harbor again. I don't, I don't know, but I, I know that there's a group of people that believe we should spend as much money on the military as possible. And I have no problem with a strong military defense to a point. But, I mean, we already have what we really need with the military. We have 1,500 to 2,000 nuclear warheads at our disposal. More than enough to wipe out every man, woman, and child on Earth many times over and make the planet pretty much uninhabitable for hundreds, if not a 1,000 years or so. So I don't really think that we need hundreds of thousands of troops, hundreds of thousands of people. And I thought the part where President Obama got Mitt Romney, even though I didn't think this was very presidential, even though I thought it was snarky, and even though I thought that, quite frankly, it made President Obama look petulant and stupid, it still made me laugh when he said, um, when they were talking about uh, the military, specifically they were talking about the Navy. And uh, Mitt Romney says, well, you know, because of budget cuts to the military, the Navy now has only 285 ships. They say they need at least 315 to accomplish their mission. And we don't have, we have the lowest amount of naval ships since 1917. And Barack Obama comes back with, well, yeah, that may be true, but um, yeah, we, we, have, we have the fewest, we don't have as many ships as we did back in, in 1916. But we also don't have as many horses and bayonets. This is not a game of battleship. And he was absolutely right. Again, not presidential. It was snarky and condescending. And uh, if you read my blog over on michaelgroff.com, I pretty much take the president to task for it. But at the same time, he's right. There is truth in what he says. We don't need a great big naval fleet. Got news for you. Nobody is going to attack the United States by sea. If China wants to attack the United States, the last thing they're going to do is send ships to like L.A. Harbor or to Seattle, to the Puget Sound. They're not going to invade us by boat. We don't need that. The president said, well, we have these things called aircraft carriers. Again, it was snarky. It was condescending. It's no way to act in a debate, but he's right. 
he's the president was right. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I know that you people tune in and you uh, some of you, I think, just expect me to do nothing but lambast the president or do nothing but lambast Mitt Romney or something. But here's the thing about me, folks, is uh, I call a spade a spade. I call it like it is. And the president, at least on that point, was absolutely right. Um, military experience. Uh, neither candidate, by the way, neither one of them has any military experience to speak of. Mitt Romney nor Barack Obama. Okay, I don't trust them as a military leader. But this is one point where uh, Obama was was right, even if he was a complete douche about it. Obviously, that was the big highlight of the night. That was where Mitt Romney looked like he pretty much got taken to school. And after that, I don't think he was really able to recover. But uh, really, there wasn't much else here. I'm being serious. They're really, if you look through this debate and I've, I not only did I listen to it, but when I posted my blog or when I'm posting my blog here, I was, I started writing it up before I did the podcast here. What you'll see on my blog, I, I take a piece of the transcript and post it in there. I read through the transcript again, just to see if there was any other points that I missed, anything else I wanted to talk about. And there really isn't. Look, the president doesn't have any agenda that he pushes forward for the next four years. He has not talked about what he plans to do for the next four years. He is resting on the laurels of Obamacare, and that's pretty much about it. Meanwhile, Mitt Romney doesn't have any plan either, or he does, but it keeps flip-flopping. I'm going to cut taxes across the board. I'm not going to cut taxes to the wealthy. I am going to cut taxes to the wealthy. I'm going to reduce the rates. No, I'm going to reduce the deductions. Doesn't give us specifics what deductions he's going to reduce. Doesn't give us specifics about his five-point plan. Aside from a very generalized, well, I plan to cut taxes across the board, but I'm also going to eliminate the deductions. Okay, but what specifically? No, that's it. That's all you get. Okay, uh, what about the military? Well, I am going to spend a little bit more on military, on the military. How much more exactly? Well, you know, it is sort of in the Paul Ryan budget, uh, but I really don't have an exact number, but it's somewhere a eh, trillion dollars, uh, kind of, sort of. All right, so where are you going to cut uh, elsewhere? Well, I don't know. All right, what do you have planned for education? Well, I don't know. How are you going to repeal Obamacare exactly? Well, I don't know. We'll just repeal it. Okay, these are answers we don't have. President Obama spent the entire night it's just slamming Mitt Romney and his lack of a plan. And that's fine, except he didn't give us an agenda. And Mitt Romney tried to tell us about a plan without giving us specifics. So you can see this is exactly what was running on Monday night. And this is exactly why I got frustrated. And then I watched and listened to the post-debate coverage on the uh, local and national outlets. And it was pretty much... The general consensus was, was, surprise, surprise, each group thought that their guy did the best, each group of pundits. So the folks over on MSNBC, oh, I thought Obama did well, and I thought that that comment about uh, 1916 and the horses and bayonets, I thought that was great. And then over on Fox News, it was, well, I thought Mitt Romney really uh, did well. Although I will say that when I was watching briefly on Fox News, and then I listened to Sean Hannity later too, uh, he was talking about how he was disappointed he thought that the president was weak in his uh, attack. He thought it was a bad strategy or a it was a strategy, as he called it. But he doesn't think it was an aggressive strategy that Mitt Romney used to press the president on Benghazi. It's very clear that Mitt Romney is not an aggressive type at all. 
he's not really an A-type personality. He's a good business guy. And I think that he's probably very A-type when it comes to businesses. Well, given his shrewd business practices, we know that he's A-type there. But when it comes to leadership and when it comes to calling out people on, on BS and when it comes to calling out the president on an area where he's weak, and that's the economy and his foreign policy, Mitt Romney, not very good. Mitt Romney's not very good because Mitt Romney doesn't have a very good record to stand on. Well, he has no record in foreign policy because, well, he's never been the president, nor has he ever been a part of a committee that had anything to do with foreign policy. He's been a governor of a state, which, and listen, that's fine. He's got executive experience, which is more than we could say for Obama when he came into office, but he doesn't have anything, any leg to stand on. He speaks in very general terms. Oh, I'm going to just spend more money on the military. I, I guess he's trying to get the military vote by saying, hey, if, if you elect me, you're going to get more money for whatever, for blowing up uh, towel heads or whatever you guys want to do over there. And, and that's fine. But the problem is, is that that's not resonating with people now. That's not a message that resonates. I don't know. And then he, to not attack him on the economy, that's been a weird strategy this entire election season. How Mitt Romney can't take advantage of the fact that we have this terrible economy. He's a businessman and he can't take the president to task nearly enough on the economy. He just won't. He does it a little bit. He takes his shots. He's got a little, you know, he's gotten his barbs in, but he hasn't just delivered the knockout punch. And that's why these polls are so close. You would think with the economy like we have right now, Barack Obama would be trailing by 15 points, but he's not. George H.W. Bush didn't have nearly the bad economy that we have now back in 1992. And George H.W. Bush lost, and he lost pretty easily. Ross Perot gobbled up a lot of those votes. Bill Clinton was able to win the White House with something like 42% of the vote. So, you tell me. All right, you tell me where, uh, why, why it is that... Mitt Romney can't just run away with this thing. Well, it's probably because people don't like Mitt Romney very much either. It really is the lesser of two evils. And that brings me up to the following point, and that is then, so about 24 hours after that debate wrapped up, I watched the debate that was actually interesting to me, that what I had been waiting for, and that was the third party debate. And I tuned into that. That was hosted by the Fair and Equal Elections Foundation, they're over at fairandequal.org. Uh, and we mentioned this on the last podcast as well, that you could tune into that via RTTV. Even Al Jazeera English was carrying the third-party debate. I watched it the other night. I even watched the pre-debate coverage. It was sensational. Now, the production value over on fairandequal.org was not the greatest, but you're not tuning in for the production value. This isn't Fox News or CBS or somebody that has a high budget. This is this is a, uh, an independent, nonpartisan group that's putting together a debate among legitimate presidential candidates that don't get to have their voices heard. And I'm not sitting here trying to do a sales pitch on you or anything, okay? I mean, I know all of you have, have made up your mind. You're going to vote for whoever you're going to vote for. But I will say that if you, if you really wanted to at least hear what an alternate voice sounded like, I encourage you to go back. It's, it's on YouTube. You can go and watch the third-party debate. And uh, there's going to be another one, and I'm going to tell you about that in just a few minutes. But this, this third-party debate last night was sensational. First of all, it featured libertarian Gary Johnson, the Justice Party's Rocky Anderson, 
who I didn't know very much about, I had to admit. I know he was the former mayor of Salt Lake City, but I didn't know much about him beyond that. Uh, the Constitution Party's Virgil Good and Green Party's Jill Stein. Now, I knew a little bit about Jill Stein, and certainly I knew about the Green Party because Ralph Nader had run on the Green Party in, I think, 2000 and 2004. And um, Jill Stein, interestingly enough, she tried to get into the last presidential debate that was held at Hofstra University. And she was denied access. Not only was she denied access, but her and her running mate were arrested and detained for eight hours. They were handcuffed to chairs and detained for over eight hours. Uh, It's unbelievable. The fact that she tried to gain access. She's a legitimate candidate on the ballot, just like Gary Johnson, just like Andrew Good, just like uh, Rocky Anderson. Legitimate candidate on the ballot. Uh, unlike the unlike two of the other three there, though, um, uh, Gary Johnson is on the ballot in all 50 states now. Um, Jill Stein, I think, is on the ballot in 47 states or something like that. Don't quote me on that, but it's something. It's in the 40s. So uh, she has a very legitimate case to be at these presidential debates but no they didn't think so they uh, as soon as she got on the grounds they swept her away they took her to some dark place someplace what they call a dark space a space that is meant uh, for special detainees not where they would just take the normal protesters that get a little too rowdy but special detainees and uh, apparently her handlers found her over there and then they got in trouble for knowing where they took her i guess but anyway So she was detained. I thought that she was a very interesting person. I don't agree with a lot of the Green Party politics, or at least some of them. But I will say, listening to her last night, she was great. And all of you know I'm very much in the tank for Gary Johnson. I plan to vote for him. I like what he has to say. I think he's the best libertarian candidate that there's ever been. And I would tell you right away if I didn't think there was a very strong candidate. I was okay with Bob Barr. I thought he was all right, but I didn't really get behind him that much. I mentioned him on the podcast here and there, but I was not the biggest fan. I thought that Wayne Allen Root was fine. I thought that um, Andre Moreau, who ran for uh, president of the Libertarian ticket many years ago, okay, whatever. You know, a lot of very sort of whatever kind of candidates, but I re- I've got to tell you that... Uh, Gary Johnson is fantastic, but the other candidates had a lot of very refreshing things to say as well. It is so nice to be able to look at a bunch of candidates and believe that you are making a choice between the better of goods than the lesser of evils. And that is what the third party debate really was last night. It was moderated by Larry King. A woman by the name of Christina Tobin was the organizer of this event She's part of the Fair and Equal Foundation. I think she's actually the chair of the Fair and Equal Foundation. She actually ran for the Secretary of State of California at the age of 28 years old back in 2010. We even talked about her on this show, as I recall. And I really think that in spite of the fact that it was a little bit disorganized and and the production values were a little bit bad, I really thought the debate itself and the issues were wonderful uh, the questions, Larry King, look, he's 9,000 years old, but I thought he did a, a an okay job as moderator. The questions were submitted by people via social media. Real, actual human beings submitted the questions, and they ranged from a, a wide array of topics. Uh, anything from 
the very way that uh, elections are done, how ballots are set up to domestic issues and foreign policy and just everything in between. Even, yes, of course, as you know, it would come up, the legalization of drugs. So uh, the debate was very spirited. There was a lot of agreement among the candidates and there was disagreement. But here's the difference. The disagreement among the candidates, they had their say. Nobody talked over the other person. Nobody interrupted the other person. Nobody made inappropriate faces. A lot of them actually made eye contact with one another. They were very attentive. They were patient. They had their say. They didn't try and stomp all over Larry King. You know, they didn't try to have more than their allotted time. They were very polite, very courteous. It was a debate, but I would almost hesitate to use the word debate because they weren't arguing at some fevered pitch. They were making a passioned argument for their particular agenda, but they weren't jumping down each other's throats. And I just thought that it was such a great presentation for candidates. They uh, answered a total of six questions and they, of course, had their opening and closing statements. They had the opportunity for rebuttals. A lot of them agreed on things. Look, uh, for example, we'll just we'll start with it. Um, one of the questions was, if you could amend the United States Constitution, if you could make one amendment to our Constitution, what would it be? And Jill Stein said that she would make an amendment declaring that corporations are not people and basically repealing, getting rid of the Citizens United decision in that uh, corporations are not allowed to make these endless campaign contributions. Money is not speech. That would be her big. Um, that would be her big amendment to the Constitution. Rocky Anderson said that he would uh, have a, a an equal rights amendment in a sense that uh, all marriage is fine. All right, gay marriage, straight marriage, whatever. Marriage is marriage is marriage. Everyone should have equal protection under the law. A true and updated version of the 14th Amendment is basically what uh, Rocky Anderson was advocating. Both Virgil Good and Gary Johnson said that they would institute term limits. So uh, no, nobody could be in office more than six to 12 years. And at least that was Virgil Good's definition. He said six to 12 years. Gary Johnson didn't give a specific number for term limits, but they both said the term limits would be their constitutional amendment on any level of government, whether it's state, local, federal, whatever, even the president of the United States, term limits would be in place. Uh, their argument is that term limits just make it so that a candidate doesn't have to spend their entire time in office worrying about their next campaign. They can instead worry about getting the job done. Um, I've always been against a term limits sort of uh, sort of amendment to the Constitution or any kind of term limits whatsoever. I think we already have term limits. It's called elections. It's called going to the polls. And if you don't like the guy that's in there now, throw the bum out. But at the same time, I can understand where they're coming from on this. And you don't want to spend your uh, your time as it is now. Like if you're elected to the House of Representatives, you're, it's a two-year term. You spend at least nine months to a year of that two years raising money and trying to get reelected. And that's counterproductive to the position that you're in. Nevertheless, uh, I've never been a big fan of term limits. So it's probably the one and only area that I completely disagree with Gary Johnson about. And, uh, 
But nonetheless, it was great to hear that. None of these candidates, look, uh, to me, Gary Johnson is is my candidate. He's perfect in in the sense that I agree with most of what he says. He cl- most closely represents me. But that's not to say that these other candidates didn't have some great ideas as well. Uh, Jill Stein, Rocky Anderson, Virgil Good, and Gary Johnson all believe that our military is bloated, that we need to make some cuts. Now, they all have different ideas of how much those cuts should be and what we should be doing. Gary Johnson says, get everybody out, get them all out of, get our bases out of the rest of the world, bring our troops home tomorrow. And he got a huge round of applause for that. No more drone attacks. These drone attacks are ridiculous. You know, again, get get them out of there. Let's stop doing this nonsense. Um, and, and the other candidates had similar responses. Gary Johnson had a specific, he said that he would cut the military budget by nearly 50% back to the 2003 levels. He didn't want to freak anybody out and say, I'm gutting the military entirely, but he just wants to bring us back to where we were spending even back in 2003, which was still a lot, but not nearly as much as we're spending today. Just so a, 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 an across the board cut. I thought that was wonderful. Obviously, they also talked about the war on drugs and how it's a failed, fruitless war. And Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, and Rocky Anderson all feel that marijuana is dangerous because it's illegal. Not illegal because it's dangerous. Whereas um, Virgil Good would not legalize marijuana. He does not believe in the legalization of any drugs whatsoever. And as I feel the other three candidates... They all want to legalize uh, marijuana. Um, I think Gary Johnson maybe even is up for legalizing cocaine. I think they all want to decriminalize it. Virgil Good is the only one that doesn't want to legalize any of those drugs whatsoever. So he definitely differs from the candidates on that point. But even Virgil Good feels that we spend too much money on the war on drugs and that it's not a top priority. But he does feel that that would be another area of the budget that he would cut back. They talk about uh, a few other areas, a few other points. Uh, Virgil Good says that he would not give any green cards, any work visas to any foreigners until we get unemployment down below 5% in this country. I thought that was, um, well, that was a different kind of idea. I don't agree with it, but uh, this, again, this is kind of the stuff that you're going to get at a third party debate. You're going to get different ideas, different takes. It's not the same old boring platitudes and the same old boring talking points. So I, I thought that was wonderful. Uh, they did, uh, again, talk about, uh, you know, gay rights, uh, civil liberties, um, you know, those kinds of things. They're all, all, all four of them, even though uh, one could make the argument that both Gary Johnson and Virgil Good are rather conservative guys. They're, very, they're still pretty socially liberal, I think. Jill Stein and Rocky Anderson are global warming people. They believe that global warming is dangerous and that it's something that's going on and that we have to do whatever we can to stop it, blah, blah, blah. I don't agree with that part. But pretty much, I thought that all the candidates were still wonderful. I thought that they uh, they did a fantastic job. And it was just really wonderful. Refreshing. That's the word I keep going back to because that's really how I felt it was. It's how a debate really should play out. The twist that they announced at the end of the debate was there will be another debate next Tuesday, another third-party debate between the top two candidates. What you do is you go to freeandequal.org. You go and you vote for the two candidates that you would like to see square off again next Tuesday night, October 30th. And it's an instant runoff sort of voting system. So you rank the candidates as you feel as you would like to see them appear. So 
In other words, you vote for your top candidate, number one, and go on down the list. So I, I did Gary Johnson, one, Rocky Anderson, two, Jill Stein, three, and Virgil Good, four. At least I think that was the order I did. I might have had Jill Stein second. I, I really have, even though I don't agree with a lot of the Green Party stuff, I really have a lot of respect for Jill Stein. I thought that uh, she really made quite an impression on me last night. And she definitely stands up for what she believes in. And you might say, well, it was a publicity stunt to go and get arrested, trying to gain access to one of the debates. I really believe that this is just a woman that wants to get her voice heard. And I think a lot of these third party candidates are just guys. They want to really get the message out there. You can, they're not big money people. These are not people with, you know, hundred million dollar war chests. These are people that were uh, maybe small business owners. Gary Johnson started a business in Albuquerque, uh, like a construction business, a contracting business. He got it up to about a thousand people. Then he sold it. He ran for governor. He mostly used his own money to run for governor. He was elected twice. Now he's running for president. He doesn't have a great big budget. He has a few donations that people make. He, he's not a big budget guy. And the others are the same kind of story. Jill Stein, uh, Rocky Anderson, Virgil Good. They're all pretty much, you know, okay, they might not be uh, living off of Top Ramen, but these are not people that have the kind of money that Mitt Romney, Barack Obama, or any of those kind of guys have. They just don't have that. So I think that this is a, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. So the uh, instant runoff uh, voting that they're going to have uh, next week, I think that's uh, for, for next week's uh, debate. You can go and participate in that. And I, I certainly encourage you to do that. Just check it out. Even if you have your mind made up, even if you're going to vote for Romney or Obama, I mean, look, just go and check it out at least. If you haven't heard about these candidates, I've actually had several people message me uh, even a couple of emails, people have said to me, Mike, I never knew about these candidates before I listened to your podcast, or I didn't know about them until I listened to you four years ago talk about third-party people. And that's really the point here. I'm not saying that these people are going to win, all right? I'm not up here. I'm not delusional about it. But I think that if if Gary Johnson, for example, were to even get 5% of the vote, what that means is once you get 5% of the vote, you qualify for federal election funds. And that makes all the difference in the world for your campaign. That is huge. 5% is, it's, it's a big deal. And then every percentage point above that, you get more money and you're able to participate more and more in, in the system like this. It's, it's not a great system, but it's the system that we have in place. You got to play by the rules. You got to sort of try and game the system as best as you possibly can. And I would love to see Gary Johnson at least get some votes. And I know people are going to say, well, uh, I got to vote for Romney because uh, if I don't vote for Romney, that's a vote for Obama. Or the Obama people say, I got to vote for, o I got to make sure I vote for Obama because if I don't, it's a vote for Romney. You know, uh, as Gary Johnson and, and Jill Stein and some of these others say, the only wasted vote is the vote you cast for someone you don't believe in. And that is so true. So I'm sitting here. I know I'm preaching to you. I know it's I'm getting up on my soapbox. Here I am. But I really, I have to tell you that this is something I believe in. That's why I'm here. I'm pounding the drum for these, for these guys. And even if you don't vote Gary Johnson, vote for somebody, vote for something different. You know, you know what you're going to get out of the Republican and Democrat. You know what you're going to get. It's the same crap we've been getting for decades. 
it's time for real change. I know you've heard the word change before and it sickens you now because it's been used in such a casual manner or a cavalier manner that it really has lost its meaning. But a difference, something new, something that hasn't been done before. And that's really what you're going to get from any one of these third party candidates. I guarantee you, regardless of any one of them got in, there would be a lot of changes, folks. There would be a lot of things that would be done differently. And that, I think, in a sense, just on its on its merit is better than what we have now. All right, uh, we have big news, a lot of news that we have to get into. The the Donald, Donald Trump has a big announcement that he wants to make today. He's going to make the big announcement today, probably while we're recording this podcast. So that means we'll be able to sort of, in a, in a sense, have breaking news for you. And uh, that'll be exciting. That'll be exciting because, as you know, we're all waiting with bated breath for the big announcement that the Donald has for us. Yeah, he's been going on uh, the talk show circuit and he's been out there claiming on his Twitter and on his Facebook and his YouTube channel that he has a big announcement that's going to really uh, be unbelievable and shocking. That's the words that he's been using to describe it uh, for the last couple of days. An unbelievable and shocking announcement. Meanwhile, you know it's not. But it's about President Obama, he says. Now, there was a report that came out that said that he has um, evidence that uh, the Obamas had uh, divorce papers drawn up back in 2000. I'm, I'm not making this up. That would say report that's out there. But I don't, I don't know if that's going to be his announcement or not. If it is, I will lose any shred of respect that I would have had for the Donald. I, I do maybe still have just the tiniest bit, a a hair follicles worth of respect for Donald Trump. Um, if that's what the announcement is, then you can forget it. I'm sure it's not even going to be that. I'm sure it's going to be something even more lame. You know that. Donald Trump, as you know, is a birther. He's one of these people that still believes he wants to see uh, Barack Obama's long form birth certificate. Yeah, he's one of these guys. I don't believe he was born in this country. I know people that really buy into that. They really believe that he wasn't born here. I, I, I got to tell you, there's so much to go after Barack Obama about that to attack him on whether or not he was born in the United States is so ridiculous, so mind boggling that even to this day, despite the fact that they have actually produced that birth certificate over and over again, people still want to make a big deal about it. He wasn't born here. Where was he born? He was born in Kenya, and he's a Muslim. I, I am no fan of Barack Obama, but even I find those kind of attacks, not only do I find them humorous uh, and sad, but it's really just an assault to anyone's intelligence. And it really makes the people that make those claims look like the whacked out tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist nut jobs. And it does nothing but make conservatives or anybody that's not an Obama supporter look even crazier. And it just gives ammunition for liberals and for, quote, progressives to assail anyone that disagrees with the president even further. Because now, if you disagree with the president, people go, well, you're probably one of them birthers. Oh, my God. So Donald Trump is one of those people. And you'd think that somebody that has a billion dollars would be smarter than that. But apparently Donald Trump is not smarter than that. 
So just because you have a billion dollars, it does not mean you have a high IQ, clearly. Well, I think he's a birth. I haven't seen his long form birth certificate. He's been on that for so long and people have stopped listening to him about it. I think he stopped beating that drum finally. But um, I still, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, the sheriff of Maricopa County, where I live here in Phoenix, Arizona, our sheriff, our county sheriff is another birther. And he called the state of Hawaii so much to try and get that birth certificate that they told him to stop calling. They told the sheriff of Maricopa County to stop calling. That's how ridiculous it got. This was an elected official that kept calling about the president's birth certificate. That just shows you how ridiculous it is. Absolutely insane. All right. I've really got to take a break. We're already 44 minutes into the show, and we're still only in the first segment. This has become a trend, although you guys like it, so I'm cool with it as well. Whatever. Who cares? Do have a lot more to get into, including pretty serious story about what the U.S. knew when they knew it regarding the Benghazi incident. And it turns out that there's now emails that have been uncovered, correspondence among high-level officials in our government, the State Department, the White House Situation Room, and others, back and forth, they knew about what happened in Benghazi right afterwards. They knew it was a terrorist attack. They knew that um, they knew that our uh, our ambassador over there in the uh, Libyan consulate was killed right away. They knew Christopher Stevens was dead. They knew all about this stuff very soon after it happened. And why they lied to the American people, we won't know. But there was definitely a cover-up that went on. The emails are now showing what is coming to light. And what are the repercussions of this? This is very damaging for the Obama administration. Even if Barack Obama wasn't directly lying about this, this just looks bad. I won't go as far as to say as this is a Nixon moment. This is not necessarily a Watergate moment. Although you can bet that the Republicans will blow it up to be that big. But this is still a big thing. This is still definitely a deception on the part of the Obama administration. And I know the left is going to try and spin it as best they can. You know that if this were President Bush, they would have been all over this. They would have been demanding for uh, impeachment proceedings, probably, in the House. Nevertheless, this is still bad. It makes the U.S. look very bad. All right, that... Plus, we have the Michael Graff Show stupid news file, including a guy that's probably going to be labeled a hero, at least to people in this audience. A man divorces his wife for being ugly. And you'll never believe the results of that. We'll have that coming up in a few minutes. Plus, the fastest highway or freeway in the U.S. has opened. And you can just take a guess as to what state that's in. Need a hint? All right. Yeah! There's your hint. We'll have that coming up. And so much more. Mike at KMGX.com is their email address. Uh, Michael Graff on Twitter. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Graff Show on Google Talk. And the one and only MichaelGraff.com. We'll be back. This is the 
back with segment number two. It's the zip code famous Michael Graff show on a Wednesday, October 24th, 2012. Wow. Here's a lawsuit for you. This is great. So, a guy has decided to divorce his wife. Divorce happens. Look, uh, over 50% of marriages end in divorce nowadays. So that's no big deal. But uh, this, this was a particularly interesting divorce. A man from northern China has divorced and sued his wife for being ugly. And guess what? He won. <laughs> he won a $120,000 lawsuit against his wife, suing her for being ugly. The northern Chinese man, Jian, uh, Jin Feng, married his wife and was reportedly absolutely in love with her. Soon, as will happen, she became pregnant and gave birth to a baby girl. I thought giving birth to baby girls in China was like forbidden. But anyway, this is when the problems arose for Feng. He thought the baby was incredibly ugly to the point where it horrified him. The baby resembled nothing of the parents at all. So Feng demanded to know who the father was. Now, jumping to conclusions about your wife's uh, faithfulness is the obvious thing to do when you have an ugly baby. Um, but it turned out that uh, the wife didn't cheat, but she did gloss over the fact that she had spent $100,000 on plastic surgery prior to the two of them meeting. I mean, that's just not the, something that you usually mention on a, like a first date or something. Yeah, so uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an account executive. Oh, and by the way, I had $100,000 worth of plastic surgery. Anyway, after his wife revealed this to him, Fang took the only right-minded course of action and divorced the wife, claiming that they married under false pretenses. And the false pretense presumably being that she was actually good-looking. Incredibly, now this is the best part, the male judge sympathized with Fang and awarded him $120,000. Yes. The person I really feel sorry for the most in this story is the kid because apparently it's an ugly baby and it's going to grow up without a father. And these are just ugly people. Uh, she was physically ugly on the outside and got plastic surgery. He's emotionally and mentally ugly. He's ugly on the inside. And the baby, well, the baby's ugly, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. All right. Uh, just thought I would share that. Look, we have uh, kind of a serious story here I want to mention New emails obtained by Reuters and CBS News detail a very chilling account as to what happened on September 11th, 2012, when our U.S. consulate in Libya was attacked, now known by many as the Benghazi incident, where four U.S. officials, including our U.S. ambassador to Libya, Christopher Stevens, was killed. Emails detailing the events as they unfolded came into, among other places, the White House Situation Room, 
the FBI, the State Department. So these emails were going all over the place. And it shows that the president, the White House, a lot of people knew about what happened shortly after it actually occurred on that day. For example, there's an email here from 4.07 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on September 11th detailing that our embassy, our consulate, was under attack. They believe as many as 20 people were raiding the place with multiple shots and explosions. Then, less than an hour later, they say that the firing had stopped and they were going to send a response team to check out uh, our ambassador and our personnel that were in there. Then at 6.07 p.m., they say that um, via social media, they find out that a group known as Ansar al-Sharia, Ansar al-Sharia had taken responsibility for the attack via Twitter and Facebook, they claim this. I guess terror groups are allowed to have Twitter and Facebook accounts and we just monitor it and don't do anything. I don't know. Anyway, Ansar al-Sharia claimed responsibility for the attack on the consulate And so we knew about it two hours after it had occurred. And yet the White House and the Obama administration, the president himself are running around blaming a YouTube video. They're blaming random protesters. They don't really make any specific reference to an act of terrorism. Certainly we haven't heard of Ansar al-Sharia. At the very least, they they try and throw out al-Qaeda like two weeks later. But they knew right away, these are the emails, again, from the State Department to the White House Situation Room, the FBI, along with other intelligence agencies to let us know what's going on. And this is how the response is. So, again, this sheds a very damning light on what the president knew, on what the State Department knew, on what the administration knew regarding the attack on our Libyan embassy and the fact that there was clearly a cover up and a lie to the American people. And that we were deceived. We did not. uh, The president said, well, we don't know exactly. We don't know all the details are just being sorted out. And the spin now from the White House about all of this is, well, this is just part of the stream of information that was coming in. Really? This was the information. This is the most relevant information. I mean, this came in as it was happening. This is what was sent in. Email messages. And by the way, there's more than just these. But these detail the beginnings and what and, of course, the killing of Ambassador Stevens and all the other personnel, the the three other personnel that were in there. That is a very damning piece of evidence. And the fact that that the president only now, um, well, two weeks later and uh, recently has finally owned up to this, but still hasn't mentioned Ansar al-Sharia by name. That just says something. And the fact that we didn't know up until now that that's who was claiming responsibility for this. At the most, we thought, well, maybe it's Al-Qaeda. But anybody knew this was an attack on September 11th, on the 11th anniversary of September 11th, 2001, on our consulate in Libya. How do you not know? And how do you not come out and make an immediate declaration as to what happened, an immediate denouncement, and just say, all right, um, this is what happened? No, that didn't happen from the administration. It didn't happen from Janet Napolitano. It didn't happen from Barack Obama. It didn't happen from anybody. And finally, we find out via CBS News and Reuters uh, what the real deal is here. Very, very disturbing information. And um, I'm going to be very curious to see how the White House spins this and how President Obama spins this. I know it's going to be turned into a political fiasco. Uh, Mitt Romney, I'm sure. Well, maybe. Who knows? 
his reluctance to do this is a little bit astounding, but maybe he'll take the bull by the horns on this and go after Obama on it. I don't know. Frankly, it's, it's not political, but it is. It's just a, an example of failed foreign policy. It's an example that we really can't trust what the White House tells us about international incidents. And it tells us that in spite of the fact that they requested more security in Libya, they weren't able to get it for some reason. We knew that this was a hot spot. There's already information out that we knew that there were credible terror threats to our embassy there. So why did we do nothing? Why? This is the first ambassador that the U.S. has lost in, what, 40 years? And this is what happens. This is how it's treated. It's treated as sort of a blase, not a big deal by the Obama administration, by our government, by the State Department, by all these different people. It's like, ah, well, these kinds of things happen. Uh, So sorry. So that's just too bad. All right. Okay. So expect more information to come out about that in the coming days and weeks, I would imagine. All right. Uh, We've got, oh, you know, I haven't talked about this on the show, and I've been very hesitant to even bring it up because, frankly, it's just one of those maddening things. But Lance Armstrong is in the news once again. Lance Armstrong, the disgraced cyclist, the seven-time Tour de France winner, the dope the doper, the blood doper, the alleged drug user. I mean, we don't know what exactly he took, but we do know that he was involved in some kind of blood doping and some kind of cheating. Well, all of his endorsements have dried up. Nike dropped him. uh, Some cereal dropped him. A bunch of different endorsements dropped him. He now has zero endorsement deals. Uh, Everybody is dropping him. His own team, his own cycling team, totally ratted him out to the International Committee on Cycling and um, various other places. And I don't really want to get into it or too heavy about it, except to say that this is an example of a guy that a lot of people fell in love with. Lance Armstrong, you may recall, uh, he was this cyclist. He brought cycling to the forefront here in the United States. Well, I don't want to say the forefront, but he made it at least a little bit relevant. At least people in this country knew about the Tour de France after Lance Armstrong. They knew that there was this great big bike race in France and that Lance Armstrong was kicking everyone's ass in it. Here's this American guy and they find out, oh, by the way, he beat cancer. He beat cancer and now he wins the premier bike race in the world, the Tour de France. And he not only does it once, twice, three times, he does it seven times. And everybody just goes, wow, that's amazing. This guy is fantastic. And, you know, then it comes out uh, a couple of years ago. And I think we might have even talked about it on this show. A couple of years ago, the French came out and said, well, we have some evidence that suggests that Lance Armstrong was cheating. And I remember saying at the time, oh, here, here we go. The French are upset because an American came in there, upset the apple cart and won their precious little bike race and dominated. And I just thought it was France being France and they do what they do and they hate Americans and all that. So you sort of dismiss it. But then when other committees and when other organizations are coming out and when Lance Armstrong's own team is saying, look, the guy was definitely up to some BS. Um, He was uh, blood doping. Um, He was uh, doing some kind of growth hormones or something. And, you know, that's when things started to turn south for him. And then more and more evidence just keeps mounting about what 
Lance Armstrong was really up to. And it proves that this guy is nothing more than a fraud and he's a cheater. And I'm glad that he's been banned from cycling. I'm glad that he is permanently out of the sport of cycling. And listen, I don't, I never really paid attention to it before. I probably will never pay attention to it again. I do admire anybody that's actually able to do it. But this is a guy that is now has been exposed for being what he is, a total and complete fraud. And just like Major League Baseball players that take performance-enhancing drugs, and just like anybody else, if you cheat, you suck, and I don't want to have anything to do with you, period. You know, I'm sorry, but this is a complete, not, never mind, not slap in the face. It's, it's just a, a middle finger. It's an F you to everybody that goes out and plays and tries hard and works legitimately to build their body, to condition themselves for a bike race, and here he is winning seven Tour de France races. Seven. And at the time, it was just this amazing story. Here's this guy. He came back from cancer. And oh, my God, he's so amazing. And, you know, there were people that were cynical about it. There were people that said, well, he must be up to steroids. They tested this guy hundreds of times. And he did. He passed. And he even he's the first to always rush and say, hey, I passed all these tests that you gave me. I Every test that you administered, I passed. And that's the thing. He knows the exact number. I, I took 500 tests and I passed them all. Well, I think that somebody that is so insistent, that, that sits there and, and knows the exact number of tests that they've had, and they go, hey, I passed every single one of them. Uh, obviously, that means uh, something's a little bit suspicious, but never mind that. There's clearly evidence that he was up to no good. Or he was up to something. We know this already. We know he was up to some type of shenanigans. And now everything's coming out in the open. His sponsors have dropped him. His endorsement deals are gone. And you can bet that somebody, one of these endorsements, I don't know about Nike, but somebody is going to go after him. Nobody went after Tiger Woods. In fact, people eventually came back to Tiger Woods. That's a whole different ball game. This is a guy that really defrauded people and he really made himself out to be a total douche about it. And from what I understand, Lance Armstrong is not the nicest guy in the world anyway. He's something of a pain in the ass. And I don't know. I, I can't say for sure. I just know what I've read about him. I know that uh, some people say he's a tool. I just know that anybody that cheats defrauds people. And who I really feel sorry for are the people that were right on the outside just like I, I say this about Major League Baseball too, guys that cheat, they're not only are they are they really crippling the sport and the integrity of the game, never mind that. They're hurting the guy that could be in their spot, could be in their roster spot. A pitcher or a or a hitter, somebody that's using the juice and is performing well, and there's a guy that is right there. He's just on the edge of being able to qualify for Major League Baseball. He's just, he's right there. He, but, you know, he's number 26 on a 25-man roster, and so he can't get up to the big leagues. Same thing in cycling. There's, a, there's probably a guy that's just about good enough to qualify, just about good enough to get into a race. Ah, but you can't because here's Lance Armstrong. Here's the dope head right here. He's, uh, he's the guy that uh, is standing in your way. Well, that's not fair, Mike. I mean, uh, you know, he probably would have been good enough anyway without the juice. You know, that's the sad part is maybe he would have been. Just like Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was already a good player before he took the juice. And then he took the juice and he became one of the best players ever. 
And that to me just says you got greedy. Lance Armstrong got greedy. Barry Bonds got greedy. Mark McGuire got greedy. Sammy Sosa got greedy. And all these other guys that took roids, Jose Canseco, everybody else, they just got greedy. They were already good players and they just, they they felt, well, I have to take the juice. I, I really just want to get those few extra million bucks. I'm going to be set for life. You would have already been set for life, but they wanted to have their legacy etched. They wanted to have their Hall of Fame career mapped out for them. And don't think that they weren't thinking about the notoriety the entire time. It wasn't just about the extra money. It was also about the notoriety. It was about being in the Hall of Fame. It was about having the extra accolades. Oh, man, I'm so good. I took these roids. And now you know, Barry Bonds is the, is the home run king in Major League Baseball. 762 home runs. He passed Hank Aaron. And don't think for a second that wasn't the, the thing that was on his mind the whole time. And he thinks he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, I got news for you, Baroid. You're not getting in. People like Lance Armstrong hurt your case. Yeah, it's a different sport, but you know what? They hurt your case. You know what was weird, though? The weird part. There were people defending Lance Armstrong. I'm walking around. I'm listening to the radio last week. And there's a guy going, well, I don't really see what the problem is. I don't really see this guy's a hero. He beat cancer. And he's a role model to kids. And really? So the role model to kids is, listen, if you're not quite good enough, just cheat and do whatever you have to do to win. Do whatever you have to do to get ahead. Whatever advantage you need, whatever uh, whatever situation, any anytime you can uh, get a little edge, whether it's legal or not, whether it breaks the rules or not, you go ahead and do it. Because that's the message it sends to kids. The message is, hey, doesn't matter what means, the ends justify the means. If you're not good enough in a, in a college course or if you're not good enough in a, in a class to pass it, just cheat. If you're not good enough at, um, if you're not good enough at, at whatever, just cheat. Just bend the rules. Doesn't matter. The rules don't necessarily apply to you. You know, as long as you don't get caught. What is the old saying? If you're not cheating, you're not trying, and it's only cheating if you get caught. I guess that's the Lance Armstrong theory. And this guy that was on the radio trying to defend Lance Armstrong was like, well, hey, uh, Major League Baseball players, they cheated, and there wasn't that much of an outrage about it, and there's cheating in the NFL, so it's okay. And everybody cheats, you know, all these different athletes, a lot of them cheat. So, so I don't see what the big deal is. And then the guy, well, and that argument is so ridiculous in itself. It doesn't even merit a response. But then the guy also says, hey, I don't have a problem with guys cheating. I say everybody should be on steroids yeah, because that's really what we want. That's really the message we want to be sending too. hey, let's all take performance enhancing drugs, things that we know are extremely dangerous. Some of these drugs, we don't even know what the, the cocktail of drugs that we're sticking in athletes now. Some of these, we don't even know what the long-term ramifications are. We do know that professional athletes are dropping dead in their 40s. That's not normal. That's not normal, especially for people that are supposedly conditioned 10 times better than the average Joe and that have all of these workout regiments, have all of these nutrition regiments have all of these uh, people watching them and watching their health and they're always getting checked up by doctors constantly and they're dropping dead in their 40s. And that tells you it's not just about the game. Well, they play a, a hard game, Mike. Uh, the baseball, look, I know 
it's not that hard a game. We're not talking about guys. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you're running down, you're shagging fly balls, or you're up there hitting, or you're, you know, you're you're out there running the bases. I mean, and and look, there are times where it's it can be a grueling sport. There's 162 games plus spring training plus the playoffs. If you make it there, baseball is tough. All right, to at least a point. But it is not so tough and not so taxing on your body that you drop dead at 43 years old. Ken Caminetti died at what? How old was he? 43, 42? Maybe, maybe not even. Reggie White died and he was, again, 42 or 43. Well, Mike, he had sleep apnea. Look, a lot of people have that. That doesn't mean you die at the age of 43. I'm sorry. But guys that are dropping dead in their 40s, this didn't happen in 1925. Baseball is the same game that is that it has always been. The, the, the difference between 1925 and now is, well, frankly, it's HGH, it's steroids, it's all of these other cocktails that athletes shove into themselves that are meant to pass the testing process. It's unhealthy, it's dangerous, and that's where we're at. I just couldn't believe it. This guy on the radio was just so fervently defending Lance Armstrong and saying he's a national hero. He beat cancer. He just was going on and on about it. Like somehow, because he beat cancer, that somehow should give us the right to just uh, give him a free pass. But meanwhile, if a guy, if a baseball player does it, if somebody in the NFL cheats, oh, he wants to, let's string that bastard up. Let's make sure that they, that they never play again. They cheated. How could they cheat the game of baseball, the sacred, hollowed game? But because this, because I guess this guy feels stupid too, that he fell for the hype and he fell for the scam that is Lance Armstrong. I guess he feels that he has to defend him. Uh, what, out of pride, I guess? Jesus, grow up already. Just figure it out. All right, and I warned you that we would have more stories like this. No, this is not a repeat of a previous podcast or a best of segment. This is uh, yet another story. Goodbye Halloween, hello fall festival. We told you about a story like this last time. Here's another one from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. A school has banned Halloween, and they instead are going to be replacing it with... Good old fall festival. Now, they say the ban on Halloween or the removal of Halloween is as a result of, well, first of all, the cost of costumes has gone up 8% this year over that of last year. So they're concerned that the poor and the underprivileged will not be able to participate in Halloween festivities if they had it this year. Also... They cite safety concerns regarding some costumes. Some masks uh, certainly make visibility a little bit more difficult, and they don't want to have the liability of having kids tripping around all over each other. Some costumes are very intricate and complicated, and, you know, it can certainly, there's that. And then, of course, there's the disruption of the curriculum. But uh, ultimately, um, well, that, that's part of the line that they tow. But they do sort of mention casually, very, very much as an afterthought, that it could be offensive to some students and some parents. Therefore, they're going to scrap Halloween this year. Um, but they are going to have fall festival, so you can still have a party. See, they, they didn't want to have, they, they were very concerned about the poor and the underprivileged at their school not being able to participate, but they're still going to have a party. You just can't dress up as a witch or a ghost or a goblin or, or a Justin Bieber or whatever. However, 
you know, you can still bring candy and all that kind of thing. There's still tricks or treats and all that. It's just not a, uh, yeah, I guess you're just not allowed to use the word Halloween. That is, um, well, I can understand it. Look, it's a, it's a very evil thing. I mean, when we were kids, uh, you can see how it ruined us. And so I can understand why this generation doesn't want to have anything to do with Halloween whatsoever. All right, and here on the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show, you know that we always give you news you can use, and I don't think it gets any bigger than this. A 45-year-old German woman has won a national car parking championship, beating out four men and three other women to claim the prize. Yes, Sabina Longer from Dusseldorf had to complete five different stages to earn the unofficial title of German parking champion. So what do you get if you are the German car parking champion will you get a trip to see the Monaco Formula One Grand Prix. Now, the tasks included squeezing a nearly nine-meter-long limousine into a parking bay, blind parking, and also mastering the horizontal gear shift. Uh, uh, you can master my gear shift. Anyway, uh, she also had to use a Citroen 2CV as well as parking a... A rickety old three-wheeler. But no space was too small and no car too tricky for Longer, who said on Monday that uh, she put in, uh, she had it all practiced out. She, she I guess, had to uh, practice up for this event. This is one of those things. You don't just walk in. You just waltz in to a car parking championship. Quote, as an industrial clerk, I drive a lot and often have to park in tiny bays, which I see as a challenge, she said. The hardest part was parking uh, an articulated lorry, said Longer. Uh, quote, women had to wear platform shoes and men high heels, she added. Longer, a blonde, was quick to defend her fair-haired female drivers. Quote, there are men who say that uh, a woman women winning a car parking championship would not be possible, she said, clearly proving the opposite. By way of advice, Longer could only recommend practicing, quote, just try it out, and when a gap is too small, pull out. Boy, that is some sagely female advice. I got to tell you, when the gap is too small, you got to pull out. People always remember. I mean, that's one thing for sure, all right? Oh, my God. All right. Well, I got through that story with minimal innuendo. It could have just been flying on out of there, but I've just decided it's not really in me today to just innuendo that story all up and, and go to town on it. Did I really just do a story about a woman winning a car parking championship on my show? Have I really reduced myself to this? What? Was there no dog show to talk about? Did I not discuss how I reorganized my sock drawer over the weekend or anything like that? I, I, I'm pretty embarrassed. Is there really nothing else to talk about? Did I, did I do everything? I mean, we, we went through the debate, talked about uh, the emails, talked about Libya, talked about all the world problems, and now here I am talking about a woman winning a car parking championship. And I know I'm going to get emails, people going, Mike, a woman won a car parking championship? You know what? Listen, women are better drivers. Let's just get over that right now. Insurance companies say so. The statistics prove it. Women are generally better drivers. Until they get to about 70. But since they outlive men anyway, it doesn't really matter. Who cares? I can't believe I actually just went to that story. 
How did that get in my show prep notes? Was I high when I did these? Did I get some of that uh, Gary Johnson legalized weed? I don't know. Dude. Okay, Mike at KMGX.com. That would be the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff is the handle over on Twitter. Groff Show on GTalk. And of course, the one and only MichaelGroff.com for everything that could be Michael Groff related. If you want to just uh, chime in, have a say, comment on the programs, subscribe so that every time we post a new podcast, you will get it in your inbox, provided, of course, you turn off your spam filter or you, you know, whitelist us so that our email doesn't go to uh, your spam folder. That, that has been a little bit of a problem. So, um, all right. Listen, uh, break time. We'll have more of whatever the hell this is. I'm sure... Yeah. Uh, we'll have a, a national fire hydrant painting contest to report on coming up next. After that, I, I really should just wrap up the show. There's How can you beat that? Okay, well, we'll, we'll come up with a way. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. More coming up. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show on a Wednesday, October 24th, 2012. I'm excited because tomorrow I get my stitches taken out of my back. I have five stitches in my back where they got rid of that cyst. It's a great big hole in my back and now it's starting to itch. I guess that means it's healing up all right, but um, I, I have to tell you, it's weird. Like, I think, I don't know. I think it's been bleeding. I don't know what the hell's been coming out of my back. Spinal fluid. I have no idea. I'll go to the doctor. They'll remove this. They'll be like, listen, uh, by the way, your whole back is infected. And uh, just letting you know. I don't know. So I'm going to have that done tomorrow. Have stitches taken out. It'll be great. I'll finally be able to scratch my damn back. I think. I don't know. It's uh, a crazy process. All right. And then I'll be done with that chapter. That's good. All right. You can always go to the one and only michaelgraff.com, not only to listen to this and previous podcasts, but you can always post on any program, offer up your comments, questions, suggestions, anything of the sort. Check out the Twitter feed. Make a donation to this program. It's all there at the one and only michaelgraff.com. All right. I told you about this earlier in the show. There is indeed a brand new highway that's opened in Texas. Who else but Texas would do this? The Highway 130 
It is a 41-mile stretch of road that just opened between San Antonio and Austin. It was meant to alleviate the I-35 corridor between those two cities, which is congested to all hell. So they said, hey, let's open another road and let's have the highest speed limit in the country on said road. Who else but Texas would have a complete and blatant disregard for federal safety standards and human life? Well, of course, yes, Texas in the name of speed, yeehaw and all that. But um, yeah, this stretch of highway is a toll road before you get too excited. It is a toll road. It will cost you approximately 15 cents per mile. It just opened today. But the best part is the toll doesn't kick in until November 11th. So go over there and speed to your heart's content, at least for now. Oh, man, it's Texas. Who can figure it out? And this is a little bit weird. Imagine you show up at a wake and the person that they're going to be putting in the ground is you. Yeah, showing up at your own wake. Well, that's actually what happened in Brazil. There was screaming, there was fainting, and yes, it doesn't happen every day, but a car washer in Brazil walked into his own wake where his distraught family was already weeping over their loss. Quote, people were so startled, women were fainting, people were running all over the place, said Maria Menezes. She was one of the mourners at the event in Alaguenas in Salvador del Bahia State, according to G1 News. Gilberto Orojo, 41, heard from a friend on the street that his family thought that he was dead and they were getting ready to bury him. So he decided, you know, I might as well head over to the wake and I'll just see what's happening over there. See how everybody's doing. Quote, a friend of mine told me there was a coffin at the wake and that I was inside it, Orojo said. I told him, but I'm alive. Pinch me. In fact, Orojo's family had been burying a corpse that looked very similar to their loved one. You know, this is a happy moment and it's a great story and it's it's wonderful, but it's got to suck for the guy that's actually getting buried because his family obviously has no idea. So what are we going to do with this guy? Well, I don't know. Let's just let's throw him in the sea. <laughs> Quote, I am just beside myself with joy. A beaming Marina Santina told the network, Quote, what mother who is told her son is dead is not going to be overjoyed when she sees her son alive again. Whoever says we don't do positive, upbeat stories on this show obviously has never listened to this broadcast because here, first we had a, a story about a female winning a car parking championship and now a dead guy that wasn't really dead. Doesn't get any more positive than that. All right, I was about to get out of here, but I see that we do have the breaking news. The big announcement from Donald Trump. Ooh, this is going to be exciting. The great big announcement that he was just bursting at the seams to get out there, telling us that this is going to be something shocking, something unbelievable. This was These were his words the other day, and he has been building this up because, of course, the spotlight has not been shining on the Donald for at least 10 seconds so he had to do something that was going to get him back in the limelight. He's got another season of The Apprentice he needs to promote, so he needs to get himself uh, up in the Q rating as much as possible, I guess. All right, here it is. Uh, this is an announcement that was made via YouTube from the Donald just a little while ago. I have it. Here's the audio. Uh, this should be exciting. Let's see what it is. President Obama is the least transparent president in the history of this country. No oh boy. There's never been anything like it. We know very little about our president. Uh -huh. I'm very honored to have gotten him to release his long form birth certificate uh -huh. or whatever it may be. Now, 
Many, many people have questions and very serious questions. I have a deal for the president, a deal that I don't believe he can refuse. Oh, God, just just say it already. If Barack Obama Uh opens up and gives his college records and applications. Are you serious? And if he gives his passport applications and records, I will give to a charity of his choice, Inner City Children in Chicago, uh-huh. American Cancer Society, yeah. AIDS Research, right. anything he wants, right. a check immediately for $5 million. <sighs> the check yeah. will be given within one hour right. after he releases all of the records so stated. He'll be doing a great service for the country if he does this. If he releases these records, it will end the question and indeed the anger of many Americans. What question? They'll know something about their president. Wait. Their president will become transparent like other presidents. So all he has to do to get $5 million for a charity or charities of his choice Wait, let me stop this. What question and anger do the American people have about the president's transcripts? You know, I heard this a few months ago on the Rush Limbaugh program. I remember I I tuned in. I heard Rush just begging, asking for President Obama's transcripts from college transcripts. Why in the world do we care? Does Donald Trump want to see whether or not, you know, uh, President Obama got a D-plus in college algebra. It means that he's a bad president. Donald Trump is also one of these birther types, as you know, as I've talked about already on this show and other shows. Donald Trump is a nutcase, and I thought that this was going to be a big announcement. Maybe, you know, he was going to try and come up with something. Well, a lot of the speculation was he was going to show uh, some sort of divorce papers that were drawn up between uh, Michelle and Barack Obama back in 2000, which, again, would have been a total tool thing to do, but leave it to the Donald to do something even more toolish than what I had originally expected. That would have at least been, well, that would have been stupid and and a real douchebag thing to do, but at least it would have been something tangible that happened. And I don't know, it would have been horrible and we would have all thought he was a jackass, but this just, this is just another one of those nut like way out there tea party kind of strange things to do. You know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to blame this on, on tea party. I'm just going to say this is one of those wacky Donald Trump things to do. It really is holding a charity hostage for $5 million, blackmailing a charity and, and cancer kids or whatever with $5 million just so you can get your rocks off so you can see the president's collegiate transcripts. Hey, Hey Donald, why don't you show us your collegiate transcripts? Huh? Why don't you show us what you got in college? Let me see your scary education. I know you have a billion dollars and America's been pretty good to you, but don't you have more important things to do than to worry about whether or not President Obama uh, passed basket weaving? Don't you have more important things to do than to worry about whether or not President Obama got a, an A in speech class? Well, we probably know he did. I'm pretty sure. Long as there was a teleprompter in that speech class or as long as he was allowed to use note cards or read off of something, we know that President Obama would have gotten an A plus in speech. Donald Trump, on the other hand, I don't know. (laughs) Barack Obama hopefully got an A in hair weaving because Donald Trump could really use one of those. Definitely needs better hair.
<laughs> Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Is there a bigger? This was the big announcement. This is what he had to get out there. This was the most important thing on Donald Trump's brain. How does this guy have billions of dollars? How? I'm looking at this YouTube video. By the way, he's sitting in an office. This looks like an office, like right out of, I don't know. I thought he would have a very elaborate office. You see on like The Apprentice, he has these nice facilities, these big buildings and wonderful looking offices. And this office looks like, um, I don't know. I mean, if I when I clean up this studio, this studio looks nicer than that office. A terrible webcam setup. President Obama, and he does this slow, deliberate style of speech where every word he pounds on the table, it is the most annoying thing I have ever heard. Good God. Okay, well, that was the big announcement. Should we play the rest of it? All right, I'll play the rest of it. Is get his colleges to immediately give his applications and records and also... To release his passport records. Why? Well, I I really have to know why. What's the big deal? What are we hoping to learn from his college and his passport records? That he really didn't go to college in the United States? That he took Islamic studies in college? Is that what they're hoping to see? Or maybe he doesn't have a real passport? And every time he's been outside of the U.S., he's been committing fraud because he hasn't had a real passport? Is that what they're going for? Is that where it's at? Well, uh, if we look at this, we could probably certify further whether or not he's an actual U.S. citizen. Is I have never heard a more ridiculous bunch of garbage in my life. Again, I am no fan of President Obama, but if you're going to attack him on something, how about to attack him on something that actually matters and that is important? What his grades were in college, what his college application was, what his SAT scores were, not really important. Nobody cares. You are the only person that seems to care, Donald Trump. Well, you and Rush Limbaugh. You and Rush Limbaugh and, and I guess Sean Hannity and, and some of the whacked out nuts that jump on that bandwagon. You are the people that actually care about this garbage. The rest of us do not. I don't. Does anybody else? Does anybody listening to this show? Do any of you care? Does most of the United States care? You know what people care about, Donald? And I know since you have billions of dollars, you can care about trivial crap that nobody else cares about. But for most of us, we care about putting food on the table. Most of us care about where, you know, uh, going to work, how we're going to get our kids to school, um, you know, things like that. Trivial stuff like that. Unimportant crap to you sitting in your ivory tower in New Jersey or New York or wherever the hell. This was the big announcement. This is what Donald Trump had to get out there to the rest of the uh, American public. I want to see President Obama's college transcripts. Right, because that's important. And uh, you know what this is. This is all about, let's try and throw another wrench into the works. Maybe plant another small, insignificant seed of doubt into the minds of the American people before the election. I can't believe I'm actually giving Donald Trump any attention at all, but he had this big announcement. And it was supposed to be so huge, so wonderful. The last 20 minutes of this podcast, I got to tell you something. Now that I'm looking back at it, I'm going to, I, I really should just delete the last 20 minutes of this podcast. Car parking, dead guy that's not really dead, and now Donald Trump. Quite frankly, a car parking championship is much more scintillating than this crap. Honestly, I want him to release his transcripts. Okay. People in hell want ice water. 
When he does that, to my satisfaction, to my satisfaction, complete, this check is delivered immediately. immediately. A lot of people it's will be very, very happy to see this happen. Uh -huh. Frankly, it's a check that I very much want to write. I absolutely would be the most happy of all if I did, in fact, make this contribution oh through the president to these charities. You, One caveat, uh, the records must be given by October 31st at 5 o'clock oh, in the course. afternoon. Of course. Mr. President, not only will I be happy and, by the way, totally satisfied, but the American people will be happy. And you know what? Those charities will be very, very happy. Thank you, Mr. President. Wow. Okay. No, thank you, Donald. Thank you for exposing yourself further as being just a raving nut job, lunatic fringe, jackass. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for participating in the society, Donald, and um, you can now leave. Your usefulness has expired. You're fired, Donald. Really? That was the biggest waste of time I've ever heard. I just wasted valuable storage space on a hard drive. I wasted your valuable time with that, my valuable time. I wasted everybody's time with that. And you know what? I'm not going to blame myself. I'm blaming you, Donald. I'm blaming the Donald. I'm throwing him under the bus. I had no idea what this announcement was. I didn't know. I thought it was going to be something important. I should have read the, the comments before I, I looked at this. This just came out. This announcement just came out, and it's got... Close to 30,000 views already. This is within the last hour. People are interested in what Donald Trump has to say, apparently. I guess I was one of them. Listen, I fell for it, too. I got hornswoggled. All right. I got I got uh, railroaded here. So it's my fault just, just as much as anybody else's. I don't know. I, I think that's the last time I ever talk about Donald Trump on the show again. Is that a fair deal? Can we do that? Um, because I'm certainly not going to talk about The Apprentice. I did, I remember, I watched a season of The Apprentice back when it came out. I did. I watched, I might have even watched a season and a half worth. I wanted to see what that was all about. I remember. I'm not going to deny it. I, I did watch, but I haven't watched that probably since, what, 2004? So... I generally don't have any interest in Donald Trump. I did talk about him briefly a couple of years ago when he was pondering a run for president of the United States. And he was talking about uh, some of the things that he'd like to see done. And I actually agreed with a few things. Hey, look, even a nut job can occasionally get something right. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Again, I apologize to my audience. I very rarely, if ever, apologize to the audience for anything that I have ever done on the air. This will be one time where I will say to you, the listeners of this program, I am, I am truly sorry. All right. To make up for it, I'm going to get out of here. I'm not going to waste any more of your time. If, um, if you find it in your hearts, rather than, rather than uh, just write me angry hate mail or whatever you could donate to this program all donations will go to deleting the last few minutes of this show so that you never have to hear that again 
it'll go to therapy for me so that I can go and try and remove that from my memory. Hypnotherapy of some sort, I don't know. Okay, otherwise, Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. That's also the PayPal address for this program. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff, the handle on Twitter. And of course, for anything else Michael Groff related, it is the one, the only, MichaelGroff.com. While you're there, you can always listen to other shows, our, our previous podcasts. Subscribe so that every time there's a brand new show, it gets sent to you. Well, the show doesn't get sent to you, but a notification that the show is up there. Um, I think you can set it up to where you can just auto-download our show. If our RSS thing is working, uh, that would be nice. I think it is. I don't know. Pretty sure it's working. Not 100% on that. All right. And for everything else, you know, you can always go there. The one and only MichaelGroff.com. That's it. We're done. Mercifully so. Again, I apologize, the Donald. I could have gotten out of here a lot sooner. President Obama. <laughs> what, a, what a colossal ass face. I mean, really. Forgive me, but what a hemorrhoid. All right, we'll see you uh, next time for another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Grob Show. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.